0: Podcast One Production. Hey guys, you're listening to Crappy to Happy. I'm Cass Dunn. I'm a clinical and coaching psychologist, mindfulness meditation teacher, and author of the Crappy to Happy books. In this series, we look at all the factors that might be making you feel crappy and the tools and the techniques that will help you overcome them. In each episode, I introduce you to interesting, inspiring, intelligent people who are experts in their field, and my hope is that they will help you go from crappy to happy. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Libby Weaver, who is an internationally acclaimed nutritional biochemist, an author and speaker. Libby has written 12 books and has made it her life's work to empower women especially to take charge of their health and their happiness. Libby was warm, engaging, she's a wealth of information, and we talked about the real reasons you gain weight as you age, how weight loss is as much about psychology as it is about nutrition, and why you need to stop counting calories once and for all. I hope that you learn as much as I did from this inspiring conversation with Dr. Libby. Dr. Libby Weaver, you have developed, I'm aware, your own unique three-pillared approach to achieving optimal health. I would love it if you would just start by explaining for our listeners what those three pillars are. With absolute pleasure. They are, the three
1: pillars are the biochemical, the nutritional and the emotional. So I look at absolutely everything, all health conditions, what people are experiencing through those three lenses. So the biochemical is where I look at the inner workings of the body. So for example, what signals to the adrenal glands to release stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol? What then regulates those hormones what allows us to get rid of them, what are the consequences. So that's the biochemistry, the inner workings of what I do. Mm -hmm. The nutritional component is where we look at the foods and the nutrients that are essential for the optimum functioning of all of the biochemical pathways inside of us. And then I'd probably become people's least favourite human when I talk about the foods, but especially the drinks that can take away from the optimum functioning (laughs) of some of those body systems. And then the third pillar is the emotional one, which is where I get people to ask the question, why do I do what I do? even though
0: I have the knowledge that I have. I'm really, obviously as a psychologist, I'm really interested in that. Um, and I want to come back to the biochemistry as well. So many questions. But so when we talk about emotional eating, like the emotional things that drive people to, to eat things that they know are bad for them, that they know ultimately don't serve them. As a psychologist, I can address that as, you know, in terms of the emotional drivers and triggers and things. As a nutritionist, how do you help people with that? So uh,
1: it's hilarious almost to me because at uni we were taught that to change someone's food behaviors you really just needed to sit with them uh and and guide them on how to eat and that people would then go away and do that once they had that good education and of course once you're out and working with people which i've done for 20 years now you learn very quickly that that's not the case and they might do if only it were that easy exactly um so for you know some people will do it for three days three weeks maybe three months and then revert back to what they've always done so as a nutritionist i had to come up with ways to uh, help these really intelligent people who were wanting to make significant dietary and lifestyle choices, had to come up with ways to explain to them what was driving their behaviour. So the simplest way I came to do that was to help them understand that, let's say they'd come to me for weight loss, they'd say, Libby, I will do anything to lose weight. I'm sick of myself, I'm so uncomfortable, just tell me what to do and I'll do it humans will do more to avoid pain than they're ever going to do to have pleasure yes. and so i think they, the weight loss in this situation is their pleasure but the way that they live is by avoiding emotional pain it's just that we're not usually taught at school how to identify uh how we feel in each moment and in my experience it's our beliefs that drive our behavior and they're slippery we're usually very good at knowing what we believe about things external to us about that person or that situation or that political party but we're not so good at identifying what we believe about ourselves and who we have to be to be loved, for example. So I dig into all of that in my work as well.
0: Music to my ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> music to, Because that is, I mean, we have had an, a previous episode all about emotional eating. And we've also had an episode about self-sabotage and those unconscious uh, blocks that come up and get in people's way. So to me, that's fantastic that as a nutritionist, you include all of that because that's, that's, essential isn't it it is it doesn't ch- long the only long
1: long term lasting change i've ever witnessed occurred has come from doing that deeper work yeah. and it's it's where because you've got to get humans back in touch with the fact that they are worth taking care of that they are worth loving and until that work is done and they
0: truly know it in their own hearts it's you fight an uphill battle so when we talk about biochemistry is that referring to for example my DNA and the like the genes in my body or is that how I ha- the environmental factors that have impacted how my body works? Can you talk to me about that? Because I'd love to. Yeah, it's one of I did a PhD in biochemistry
1: after I did my first nutrition and dietetics degree, so it's biochemistry is is deep at the heart of my work. It's where one su- a biochemical pathway happens when one substance is being converted into something else, so substance A becomes substance B through a reaction. And then substance B will get converted into substance C, C becomes D, and on and on the cascade of changes continue to go. So, for example... Cholesterol is the first step in the synthesis of all of our steroid hormones, estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. So I'll use that as the example. Mm -hmm. Cholesterol gets converted through a biochemical reaction into pregnenolone and then pregnenolone becomes progesterone and progesterone plays a role in fertility, but it's also a very powerful anti-anxiety agent. It's an antidepressant and a diuretic, so it has a lot of biological effects on us. And then in that biochemical pathway, there's a fork in the road where progesterone either gets converted into estrogen testosterone or cortisol one of our stress hormones and that all occurs in both men and women obviously the testosterone pathways are upregulated in men the estrogen pathways typically upregulated in women particularly across the menstruation years but that to, to, to understand the biochemistry of that for one substance to turn into something else so for cholesterol to become pregnenolone nutrients are needed so for that conversion you actually need zinc and the essential fatty acids. Now, if you're deficient in either or both of those substances, you will accumulate cholesterol and then you will become too low in all of those beautiful hormones that help contribute to our energy and vitality. So nutrition plays an essential role in every biochemical reaction inside of us.
0: That is stuff that most of us just don't. It's not even on our radar. Mm. I'm just thinking now about the issues that you know, our listeners talk about, such as you know hormonal cravings that they have, uh, weight gain, we can modify all of this with how we eat yes
1: it ha- simply put. Put, put very simply put 100% so because we can't fight our biological requirement for nutrients so if when we become nutritionally deficient in uh, fruit well in this case say zinc and that's very common these days because zinc used to be in our soil so it was widely spread throughout our fruits and veggies, breads and cereals whereas now our soil is deficient pretty much uh, of from zinc and it's only really found in oysters, red meat and then there's a little bit in eggs and a little bit in seeds sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds so it's very easy for people these days to become deficient in zinc and we don't ever then pause to think about how our food choices or poor soil quality is then impacting the interior workings of our body in this one little example interfering with our body's ability to convert cholesterol into substances that are linked to us feeling energised and vital and alive and waking up with energy let alone helping to prevent anxious feelings, low mood, stopping to prevent fluid retention. Because if you think of the flip side of all of that, when we are retaining fluid and we feel puffy and swollen, have a lot of anxious feelings and our mood's really low, the ripple effect of that is major. Mm. When, when we feel so uncomfortable in our, in our physical body and inside our own minds, and that, that's very confusing for us because we don't understand why you think it's going to impact what we make ourselves for dinner it will impact whether we get off the couch and go for a walk or not our self talk and the way we speak to everyone we love in the world so that's that's just to put it really simply nutrition for me it's my training so i'm biased but for me it's, it's the everything. absolute foundation of everything because i call the body the earth suit the earth suit has biological requirements and we just we have to meet them and i'm very concerned that too many people these days don't meet those and a good question to consider is are we living too short and dying too long a lot of people their quality of life is enormously affected from lousy energy or real challenges with with it, with mindset that they don't understand and and sadly just don't have the tools to, to deal with what 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 happens for them but nutrition is a, is a, plays a big role in us feeling better.
0: It sounds like it. Mm. And picking up on what you were just saying and about you know we feel crappy and then we you know we're down on ourselves and we speak badly and then oftentimes the go to for people is a glass of wine. Uh, sugary food, you know, all of the things that just continue perpetuating that unhealthy cycle.
1: Yeah, a lot of people make fantastic choices for breakfast and lunch. I find these days, and then in the middle of the afternoon or after yeah. dinner, they feel like someone else has taken over their body. Their <laughs> desire for sweet or poor quality food uh, is major. So helping, pe- it's it's not a lack of intelligence it's not a lack of education that leads anyone to polish off a packet of chocolate biscuits after dinner no one does that these days thinking oh i'm going to feel so fabulous after (laughs) i smash these (laughs) they they don't necessarily understand that there can be biochemical factors that are leading that are internally setting them up to want that 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 food that poorer quality food and of course what we touched on earlier of course it can be uh, emotional reasons that lead them there
0: it sounds to me that the, the take home message here is that there cannot be a one size fits all approach for, to food and nutrition
1: and no, health and well being.
0: No. So, what do you recommend? Do people come and see a nutritionist? Do they have their uh, blood tests done to see where they might be deficient? Where do people start? I, I see the, bo-
1: the body doesn't have a voice, but it will give you symptoms to let you know whether it's happy or not with your choices. So, when it's giving you grief, suffering, frustration, sadness. It's trying to be your best friend. I think so many women in particular feel like their body betrays them. And a really key thing to understand is that the body is just responding to the information you give it. So I'll come back to the testing uh, and where to start this point in a moment. But if we pause to think that science suggests that humans have been on the planet for about 150,000 years, it's probably longer, but that's what we currently understand. And for virtually all of that enormous amount of time, the only reason we made stress hormones like adrenaline was to because our life was literally in danger. Whereas in modern times it's predominantly psychological stress or yes. caffeine that leads us to make adrenaline. So but the body hasn't yet learned to decipher between the adrenaline we produce from what we consume or because of our perceptions of pressure and urgency or worrying about what other people think of us versus our life truly being threatened. Yeah. So when we when we pull it all back to that and see that when we're constantly producing all of those stress hormones, we get stuck in a place that I call sympathetic nervous system dominance where blood pressure starts to get messed up, digestion is enormously compromised. Now, one in five women in Australia and New Zealand have uh, irritable bowel syndrome and food is playing a role in that, wow. but so is this, this stress response without question. And then it also changes the fuel that your body perceives is safe and appropriate for you to use. So we're always using a combination of glucose or fat, but whether it's mostly glucose, i.e., sugar, or mostly fat, your nervous system plays an enormous role in that. Because when you're in that fight or flight response, that get out of danger, because of all the adrenaline, your body wants to give you a fast-burning fuel to help you do that. So you're mostly going to use glucose, and you'll, comp- you'll you'll become a really poor fat burner in that situation. Your clothes get tighter, your energy starts to suffer, mood suffers, sleep suffers. Every Everything suffers when we're not good uh, at, util- at utilizing body fat effectively as a fuel. So when you say where to start, for so many people these days, that's where they need to start because they're constantly communicating to their body because they're making this constant relentless amount of stress hormones. We've got to look at what that really is because you can go on absolutely on all four testing iron levels, testing, you can measure cortisol, for example, first thing in the morning in your blood. You can measure it also in saliva. There's a lot of, there's so many parameters we can measure. But if I was going to help people break it down to be as simple as possible because it can get really complicated. And feel, I can tell, and feel really <laughs> overwhelming. In my experience, the first thing to do is to identify what stress truly is for an individual and start there. Because that too is different. Because when we're stressed, it compromises nutrient absorption. It compromises the choices that we make. People eat more poorly when, when they're stressed, uh, right when you need to be eating better mm-hmm. to, to give yourself more antioxidants to prevent the, the damage that can happen through oxidative stress, which, which is what occurs when we make too many stress hormones so in my experience that's always where we want to start is for you as an individual I'll say to someone explain your perceptions of pressure and urgency to me where does that come from explain to me how what is what are the words or the traits the personality traits that are so important for you to be seen as so think of the people you love in the world your family your friends your colleagues what are the traits where it's so critical that you're seen in that way because I think so much of our stress comes from when we perceive that there's a risk that we may not be seen in, in this way. So yes, what will people think? What will people think? Mm. It's one of the biggest questions, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is like, you sound like, so you start with the psychology, really. Nothing changes till you go there. Yeah.
1: So I, I go into the food, I have to, because it's very difficult for, I think, our body to produce substances inside of us that actually allow us to experience calm uh to feel like we're coping so there's there are literally biochemical substances that the body makes that allows us to experience those things and if you're nutritionally deficient you're not going to make those things in good enough numbers for you to get the 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 lovely feelings of them the uplift from them um you know melatonin is supposed to be high at night that allows us to sleep and then your serotonin is supposed to surge in the morning giving us a calm uh and content type feeling so nutrients are needed for the creation of all of those substances. And if that's not happening, so I do start with nutrition, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, have to work with their perceptions, their beliefs, uh, and and what's actually happening in someone's life. And that is another reason why it's so highly individual, because you'll say to someone, tell me about your emails, and they'll say, oh, they're the bane of my life. I can never came up, keep up. I feel like I let everybody down. Someone else will say, uh, there's an opportunity in every email. Bring it on. So how can the same thing lead to to, to such you know different, different perceptions? Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I teach mindfulness as well. Obviously, I'm a psychologist. I also teach mindfulness meditation. I have an online mindfulness course. I'm such a passionate believer in this. I this you know the fact that we all need to slow down and manage our stress. And I'm interested in it for the emotional well-being obviously and your physical well-being but the interaction there with with diet and nutrition and holistic health Mm. is massive by the sounds of it. It it is Cass and a huge part of why I went into it was when my training
1: was that the only thing that made a difference to someone's body shape and size was the calorie equation and still too many yes. people falsely believe that. That's so, on my list of questions. <laughs> calories, why are we still counting calories? Oh, it's crazy. It, it, the, if we track it back and look at the history of it, the calorie equation, the idea that there was an, a certain amount of of caloric intake required to to sustain human life that was extraordinary groundbreaking science when it was published in 1918 <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you laughed. <laughs> because, now, because you think World War I was just ending. A lot of people didn't have enough food. So it was truly uh, insightful to now know that there was a base level of intake required to maintain human life. Our heart beating, our brain thinking, our lungs breathing, all of the interior processes needed to sustain life. Calories, i.e. energy was needed for that. And it's been manipulated into a weight loss mechanism. It was never designed to be that but it got, it got used like that. So there's a whole, whole, I guess, generation of people out there who falsely believe that that's the only thing that impacts body shape and size. And yeah. and, and that was it. Was what I was taught. And you get out Same. and you work with people, and you see they're doing it perfectly, and their clothes are still getting tighter. So if it truly held true, it would hold. Tr- if it was the only thing, it would hold true for everyone. And it doesn't hold true for everyone. So that was actually in very early on in my working life. That was what actually led me to go back to my geeky biochemistry textbooks with the question in my mind: What leads the human body to get the message that it needs to burn fat, and what leads the human body to get the message that it needs to store fat? And I've put those answers into. One, my, my books I've written twelve books and some of my online courses mm. because stress hormones, for example, we started to we touched on those. They're gonna they're they're all about survival. You can have the most perfect calorie equation, but if your body thinks your life's in danger, one of the stress hormones you'll make is cortisol. Cortisol historically for the hundred and fifty thousand years we've been on the planet was made uh, during chronic stress, floods, famines, wars, food is scarce, so the body still thinks that that's what's occurring when you've got elevated cortisol from your chronic stress, which might be worrying about your relationships or your bank balance or your health or the health concerns of a loved one. It's all the same to the body. So to slow your metabolism down, which is what cortisol does, it does that because it's got your best interests at heart. And that's what I mean that the body responds to the information you give it. So when when you're making all of that cortisol, it's because your body thinks that there's long-term stress. That means there's no food left in the world. And if it slows your metabolism, you're a lot more likely to still be here if you've got some more flesh on your bones yeah. than if you're a stick monster. So it leads to a really clear fat deposition pattern. We get fat around the middle, bingo wings on the back of our arms and we grow a back veranda. So it's, it's not... And people get really frustrated and, and rightly so because they think they're still
0: making great choices. For many of us, we grew up with that calorie counting uh, message And calories in, calories out. I see it still everywhere. And I think it worked for us. You know, when I was in my 20s, I could go on a low calorie, I could drop calories for a week and drop a dress size. And that was everywhere in the magazines as well, drop a dress size in a week. And I think that's the problem is that it did work for us. And then later, when you start to put on some weight and you get a bit older and you've had kids or whatever, then we go, that's our go-to. And then that's where the frustration comes in is that those old strategies they don't work anymore and in fact I've seen some people who start to eat they say okay I'm not going to count calories and so they start eating what is a well-balanced you know nutritionally sound and you know calorie sort of controlled food plan and they think that they're doing the right thing and they they start putting on weight Mm. and so they then they just ditch it this is obviously not working I've got to go back to my you know thousand calories a day or whatever it is so what's do you have a, an answer you know do you have advice for those people yeah. You know? yeah I don't I
1: don't actually think it's age related I think it's environmental and I think it's also based on our own life experience so the older we get the less muscle mass we're going to have mm-hmm. so from the age of 30 onwards if we don't do anything to maintain muscle mass we start to lose it and it is so metabolically active so muscle is one of the only tissue that the cells of the muscles can uh, have more what are called mitochondria which are the energy producing units inside the cells that drive metabolic rate. So the, the less muscle mass we have, the fewer mitochondria we have, the less our energy, the lower our metabolism. And that's going to happen from the age of 30 onwards unless we do something to maintain or preferably build that muscle mass. The other thing that massively changes is our, our liver starts to accumulate fat because of lousy choices. So not that long ago, the only time we ever saw the accumulation of fat in the liver was in chronic alcoholics. There's a disease called chronic alcoholic fatty liver disease, but there's a relatively new disease disease now called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease that's being seen in people as young as teenagers who've never had any alcohol and it's just from the amount of processed food and drink wow. that they've consumed and once you if you can imagine that your liver is this highly active Organ designed to do play so many roles inside you nutrient dissemination as well as detoxification which is just a change process it's a transformation process the liver takes things that if they were going to accumulate inside you they'd be harmful to you the liver changes them into something less harmful so you can incorporate that into your urine and your fecal matter and get rid of it the liver plays a massive role in that inside of us. So if you have cells inside your liver that were once able to do that critical detoxification work and now a globule of fat has taken over where once there was an active liver cell, your ability to get rid of problematic substances out of your body starts to be compromised. And those things, those problematic substances can't stay in your blood because your blood's going to travel through your heart, your lungs, or your vital organs and that's going to damage them. So the and the body knows that. So it shoves it inside your body fat and moves it to your bottom and your hips. And your thighs away from all your vital organs to keep it safe in inverted commas.
0: So that actually makes perfect sense. And, you know, what I see happening too amongst my friends, amongst the people that, you know, we work with on online in health and fitness communities is that they are obsessed about calori- counting calories. And even if they have cottoned on that calories aren't where it's at, then they become obsessed with counting macros and they're entering everything into an app. Am I getting the right, you know, protein, carb, fat? Ratio. What? What? Are, what's your thoughts about that? It's a bit obsessive to me. What do you think? Yeah, it's almost like there's two human. We're funny, aren't we? As
1: humans, we're so black and white. Where there are people in the world who, when it comes to what they allow to go inside their extraordinary and precious earth suit, they need to probably raise their standards. Mm. And then there are other people, I think, that need to be less rigid because so much rigidity uh, is is fear-based and it's a drive for perfection, which is, I think, just another mask that fear wears. So I think we need to... I'm always quite careful in my response to, I guess, to um, when people talk about extreme sorts of things because this, without question there are people that really need to look after themselves far better and recognise how precious they are to take and take care of themselves. But the people who are really rigid and frightened of food... Uh, it, it, that's not healthy either. No. So so to bring it back to to a middle ground, I think it's incredibly important when we, if we're struggling to make sense of food or, or we feel like the need to count everything, a much better question to ask is will this nourish me? So when you've got a whole root, so, so track it back even a little step further. For me, there's no such thing as junk food. There's just junk and there's food. But at the moment in the Western world, we call food whole real food. But it's what we've evolved eating and up until the very, 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 very recent past. It was the o- food was the only thing available to us, but now there's a huge amount of junk out there. And if we get the junk out of our world, instead of our taste buds running our lives, your body, your chemistry starts to run your life. And I don't want to call it intuitive eating because it makes it sound too hippie lala, la, although I don't mind a bit of that, but it's I, I, I feel that that sort of makes some people check out. What I want is for, it's like there's a voice inside each of us that has our back there's a voice inside of us that knows when it's time to go to bed knows when we need to eat more vegetables knows when it's time for afternoon tea but we often don't listen to that voice and we forever hand over responsibility for our health and wellness to external voices now I'm not saying that that's not valid because sometimes we do need to educate ourselves and understand things in a different way get a different perspective speak to someone who's an expert in an area absolutely but for so many people, when they're counting everything, their body knows way better. I can't tell you the number of people I've met who'd, who'll say, I'm allowed to have a quarter of an avocado because that fits in with what I macro nutritionally, what I'm allowed to have each day. Well, what if one morning you want half an avocado or heaven forbid, a whole one? <laughs> and But then if you, but if you let yourself run with that, there'll be days when you don't want an avocado. You look at the avocado and go, oh, I don't even want to eat that today. So if when when we get the rubbish out and particularly things that contain a lot of refined sugar your body starts to run the ship and on the on, and when you allow that to occur your macronutrient intake falls into place when your body not your taste buds when your body is running your show you will choose the right amount of fat protein and carbohydrate for you but again let's go further those those macronutrients give us Energy, which we measure as calories, or the modern version is kilojoules. I still use calories because that's when I was educated. But it's the micronutrients, it's the vitamins and the minerals that allow us to extract the energy from that food. So the macros give us energy, but it's the micros that make it all usable and allow those biochemical pathways inside of us to run efficiently so we get the best out of our, our bodies. So I understand, though, that that's a journey for people to truly be able to trust themselves again. And to trust uh, their body's own desires, I think particularly for women, they've lost trust in themselves. They've they're frightened of their own desires. They're they're so used to living in a world of deprivation and almost punishment, yeah. which is not sustainable, and uh, it, it it hurts us in the long term. And I, I don't believe really there's there's a true level of health when we are living in that place of deprivation. So, but I understand it's a quantum leap to go from from being a bit frightened or or, or counting calories constantly and feeling that's your only way. There's, that's a journey to, to, to the freedom and the trust again but it's a it's a road worth taking and, and incredibly rewarding
0: So in my experience mindfulness is a fantastic way for people to start to tune into what's happening in their body you know in their emotions their physical body and I think that can be a great way to start reconnecting with what it is that they really need. What suggestions do you have for people who are heavily reliant on, you know, they're not trusting their body, they're relying on experts and apps and books and websites to start to just reconnect with what they really need? Mm. Firstly, I really understand why people go external, of course, to the
1: apps and the websites and uh, it's not a simple, it's not necessarily an easy journey uh, or a comfortable journey to come back to trusting ourselves because, and people will say to me, but Libby, when I, when I try to tune in, I'm still going to, my body still tells me I want the chocolate biscuits.
0: Exactly. (laughs) I hear that all the time.
1: same. (laughs) So uh, one of the little tips that I get people to do so that they can get some insight into what's really behind some of their food choices is you just keep a little notebook in the kitchen and you draw it up into four columns. The first column says, what do I want? The second column says, what do I really want? The third column says, how will having that make me feel? And then the fourth column is uh, how else can I feel that way? So when, let's say you've had your dinner uh, and you know on a physical level you've had enough food and you're sitting in the lounge room watching something and you suddenly think, oh, I'm hungry. But you know you actually physically can't be hungry, but you feel hungry and so you're thinking, I want something. I don't know what it is that I want, but I want something. So you go to the fridge and you go looking for it and you try something sweet and that doesn't work and you have something savoury and that still doesn't work. <laughs> so, and, and when you feel that, and then you'll go to bed feeling really uncomfortable and berating yourself and judging yourself and telling yourself you're hopeless and pathetic and got no willpower and it's a really vicious cycle. So, When you know you've had enough food, but you still feel like you want to keep eating. If you write down, what do I want? Well, I want chocolate biscuits. Then answer the next column. What do I really want? You'll still write chocolate biscuits, but then push yourself and go, no, what is it that I really want? Well, I want a new bathroom. I want to have a baby. I want to go on a holiday. I want someone to say thank you for making my bed every day for the last 18 years. So you note down what you actually really want. But then it's not even about that. It's about having that, how having that's going to make you feel. So you identify, I'll feel appreciated. I'll feel loved. I'll feel comforted. I'll feel like I fit in. Whatever. Identify how having that would make you feel and then how else can you experience that. And so then you know you need to take the steps to bring more of stand in the door if, if it's comfort or love that you want to experience stand in the doorway of your children's bedroom and watch them sleep and don't notice the messy room just soak up their preciousness nothing will lift your heart higher um, it might be that uh, you've identified that you really feel like you want a holiday and that's in because that will make you feel appreciated for all the hard work you've done so you can see that there's something in you yearning for some kind of so you show some sort kind of appreciation so you work out a meaningful way to show yourself that appreciation. So, the more you incorporate activities or thought processes that create the feelings that you're looking to the food to create, the more you can start to break or in this situation, I guess, an emotional relationship with food that may not be serving you. So that's on that on that level. On the physical level, it's very, very difficult to allow your body to run the show when there's large amounts of refined sugars and other artificial sweeteners, colours, flavours, preservatives in your food because some of those substances mess with uh, the hormones that help to regulate satiety. Uh, leptin is one of them. Yeah. Ghrelin is another one. Uh, they get, they can get really messed up and disturbed when there's a lot of fake food ingredients and also even too much refined sugar in what we're eating. So uh, we do need to take steps uh, with what we're eating. It's almost like you make a commitment to yourself to to get rid of the rubbish, to get rid of the junk. Now that's a journey for a lot of people. Let's say right now you eat 35 times a week, three main meals, two snacks, seven days a week. Let's say seven out of 35 meals is made from whole real food. If you just include one, more real food meal or drink or snack per week which i don't think is overwhelming for an individual or a family so just one more per week within two months you'll be at 15 out of 35 being made from whole real food and you'll have doubled the amount of nutrients going in and you'll have also gotten rid of a whole host of potentially problematic substances that had been going in so it's not doesn't have to be black or white you don't have to clean out your pantry it's just taking steps consistently, I love that word, consistently in a new direction to take even better care of yourself.
0: I love that. So going back to the, what do I really want? That is, is, it's pretty much exactly what what I try to explain to people as well. Slightly different process, but same thing. What is it that you, and we often say, am I, we say to people, ask yourself, am I hungry or am I hurting? But I think your way is even better. Like your way, like, what do I really, really want is an even better question. Mm. Uh, And these small steps, like this is what we say about this whole show is this is not a life overhaul this is small steps that you can take to to make better you know, crappy to happy yeah. to make things better and healthier and happier and just one meal a week that's very manageable mm-hmm. And it's game-changing, truly. It blows your mind when you start to
1: experience... If you think health is made up of, let's say, a hundred tiny little choices that we make each day, is it wine or water? Will I have a piece of fruit or five biscuits? Will I take the, uh, the elevator or take the stairs? Uh, so just tiny little decisions that we make each day. Let's say right now... 80 of them are in the direction of taking away from your health and energy and only 20 are deposits into your health and energy bank account. If you just get back to 50-50, you're going to feel better and once you have better energy and a clearer mind, you'll be at 60-40 in favor of taking care of yourself before you know it. Mm. So it's it's not an or we we go so I feel like it's it's really challenging for people when they think that they're either on the wagon or off the wagon. I hear that phrase all the time. I was going so well and then I fell off the yeah, wagon all or nothing. There is no wagon. There's only only our life. It's the belief in the wagon that's the problem. <laughs> if, if you catch up with your favourite girlfriend on a Friday night and she's had her heart broken and she pulls out lots of foods and drinks that aren't highly nourishing, the last thing you need to do is sit there and think, oh, this is not going to nourish me or, or create this idea in your head that you've got to absolutely annihilate yourself in the gym the next day because that's not healthy either. Mm. you're you're not there for nourishment, you're there to nourish each other's souls and to help her get through a rough time that she's going through and listen to her and make her laugh for example But because it is what we do every day that impacts on our health, it's not what we do occasionally and it's the guilt that we feel when we make a poor quality choice that's way worse for us than any biscuits ever going to be because it's the guilt that makes you go back and do it again the next day. If we can just put full stops at the end of our sentences, so many people put commas, oh I ate too many biscuits comma and then they judge themselves therefore I am blah blah blah, that's the, ju- the judgment is what makes you go back and do it again. If you just went, I ate too many chocolate biscuits, put a full stop. If you want to understand it, it's, I think it's good. You can ask, bring curiosity to the situation instead of judgment and think, okay, I wonder what it was that led me there. Was my blood sugar low? I was genuinely really hungry. It was time for afternoon tea. That's why I ate the biscuits. So if that's your answer, you can see that maybe on a Sunday, you need to dedicate half an hour to to pre-preparing some highly nourishing sweet food snacks. So you've got things there so you don't go for the biscuits. So maybe it's physical. Or maybe when you ask that question, uh, I wonder what led me to eat the biscuits, you can see you just come out of a meeting and you put on a brave face in the meeting, but actually your feelings were hurt. So it was, as you pointed out before, it was the hurt that led you to go and eat the biscuits. So then you bring, bring, the, bring an awareness to a lousy choice rather than judgment. And yeah. you can
0: learn from it and, and start to change. It with that insight. And a big thing that I teach is self compassion and that, you know, how do you treat yourself when you're struggling? And I always say to people, if your go to when you're feeling badly is chocolate biscuits, then how do you think beating yourself up for the chocolate biscuits is going to what you know, what choice you're gonna make then because you're only making yourself feel bad and the go-to when you feel bad is chocolate biscuits and around and around
1: exactly. you go.
0: And it's heartbreaking isn't it because you look back on your life and
1: go wow three years of lousy eating and not taking care of myself occurred because I ate too many chocolate biscuits one afternoon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Libby the take-home message is that the number on the scales is so not the defining factor or the benchmark that we should be aiming for because there are many unhealthy things that we can do if all we're focused on is dropping numbers on scales and they are not supporting our health and well-being. 100% energy is the true currency of health what's life like for you when you wake up in the morning do
1: you press snooze 50 times thinking how can it be morning already or do you bound out of bed with energy what's life like in the middle of the afternoon do you feel like you need a pile of sugar to help get you get you through so reflect on energy and I think so many people will tell you that you've got to lose weight to be healthy I'll tell you the opposite you've actually got to be healthy to lose weight yeah. otherwise your body will never let go of it and you'll never be able to keep it off because you'll, you'll simply regain it when we focus on our health it's all about what we can have it's about recognising our worth and taking care of that for ourselves but also because of the ripple effect that our great health and energy has on everyone we come into contact with
0: Dr Libby Weaver, this has been such a joy, such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your time and all of your valuable, valuable information. I know that this will be uh, you know, hugely beneficial for all of our listeners. I appreciate it so much. Oh, it's an honour, Cass. Thank you so much for having me. After spending just an hour with Dr. Libby, I was inspired to want to take better care of my health. This woman exudes positive energy, health and vitality. And you can find all of her programs, books and her tour schedule on her website, drlibby.com. And if you want to dive deeper into some of the science behind why diets don't work or hear some of my advice about how to overcome emotional eating, be sure to check out some of the earlier episodes that we did covering those topics. We love hearing from you. So if you love this show, please give it a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or get in touch with me personally, hello at castun.com. Also, if you're interested in the Crappy to Happy book, which I've just released, it's available for order and the link is in the show notes, or you can come to my website, castun.com. On the next episode, I'm talking to Jackie Manning, who is a psychologist and also an EFT practitioner, also known as Tapping. Crappy to Happy is recorded in the Podcast One studios. Produced by Dave Zwillensky. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes and to check out other great podcasts, go to podcastone.com.au or download the app.